Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York. BWI is live. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. It's post draft day, draft Monday. Everyone's getting a grade. You passed, you failed. Maybe you didn't do either, and maybe you were a player in the draft. You have a new home. We're going to discuss all that stuff here on the BWI Live Show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll also be talking about new athletic director, Patrick Kraft. Dave Eckert and myself, we did a BWI Daily after his press conference on Friday, getting a little bit of a deeper dive now here on Monday to give you our thoughts about the situation, what he said, and the overall tone. But... We'll be starting with the NFL draft and starting with my first round draft picks. But all of us here are still undrafted. Senior editor Nate Bauer back from a weekend away at a wedding. Nate, how are you feeling? Rested and recovered, right? Uh, I need a day of vacation to recover from the vacation. So we'll, Is- we'll get through it. We'll power through, <laughs> deep Frank. Also joining us today is uh, David Eckert, our expert reporter. He'll be giving us more big men update from Penn State basketball at the end of the show. So that is worth staying for uh, here for. And Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, T. Frank. <laughs> I am thoroughly energized from three days of NFL draft watching. By the way, and, uh, I, Dave, I don't know if you have a big man update, but you're giving one at the end of the show. So you have plenty of time. I, I, yeah. Sure. You know, I'll just, I'll grab one right now. No. Uh, so 
As always, if you're watching the show here, please give it a like and subscribe to Blue Eyed Illustrated on YouTube so that you never miss the BWI live show here on Monday at noon. And if you're watching and you share the video, you like the video, it helps us to uh, you know let people know that this show doesn't suck and that we're having a good time here on Monday. Uh, we'll be talking about all those things, but the first thing I want to do is I want to get to your initial thoughts about the draft. Dave, I'm going to start with you covering the draft all weekend long. Let's start at the top. Jahan Dotson to the Washington Commanders. Like it? Don't like it? What do you think? There are better places, I think, for Jahan Dotson, <laughs> but it's it's not um, maybe more functional ones with a good quarterback. Um, but you know, it's fine, right? It it, it could be worse. Um, they they have a need right outside of Terry McLaurin. There's really not much there, so you you'd expect Jahan Dotson to go in and be the number two guy pretty much right away. Um, and look, I mean, Car you can do worse than Carson Wentz. So I, I think I think he'll be okay. Um, obviously, it's not the Chiefs or the Bills, who I think we were kind of looking at um, a little bit further down the line in the draft where we expected Jahan Dotson to go. Um, but but certainly there's, there's opportunity there for him for sure. Yeah, and that is an interesting situation. I'm going to discuss kind of how all that stuff works on the BWI Daily Show with Greg Pickle. We're breaking down the draft from kind of the nuts and bolts here and there uh, thoughts when it comes to you know players and situations. Uh, but Nate, i got to ask you, did I adequately explain who A.J. Brown is on Thursday night last week? You, I, to my understanding and the level that I needed to know, yeah, okay, sure. Okay, good. He, Good. A good football player. I Can I just, uh, I, I feel like I should have uh, said this from the top, but my opening statement about needing a vacation probably came across as deeply offensive to Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and you and Greg, all of whom uh, spent the entirety of the weekend slaving over a computer uh, following the draft. So many, many hat tips and thanks uh, to the rest of the BWI staff for slogging through. I mean, eight picks. Mm. That's a that's a that's a busy busy weekend uh, for you guys. So so, so much Mel Kiper, Nate. So I, much Mel Kiper. Honestly, <laughs> I, I may I may I may have just resigned. Right, like you don't want to watch that. It's it's intolerable. In any case. I digress. I, well, I saved a lot of my takes, a lot of my thoughts for today because it was like Saturday night, Sunday. Ah, we'll do it on the live show. So here you're yeah. going to get all of my thoughts and analysis, especially on the day three guys on the show where we're going to flip this around and you guys are going to ask me questions about players Whoa. that went to certain positions, including undrafted free agents and stuff like that. Uh, and if you want to, we can start that now. Where do you want to talk? What do you want to talk about when it comes to the draft? Guys, what do you want to do when it comes to players, positions, top to bottom? What do you want to what do you want to talk about? I want to know the biggest T Frank surprise uh, related to the Penn State guys. Who what surprised you the most? Was it Dotson yeah. at the top or was it some of the guys at the bottom? Uh so I would say I was mildly surprised. And not surprised, but like if you have an either or situation and you don't quite know how it's going to go, I said Starting round for Rasheed Walker is five, like middle of five, but he could go anywhere from five to undrafted. So going in the seventh round, he's got great traits. I thought that was a little bit of a surprise, but not really. The biggest surprise was Dotson going 16th overall. 
And yeah. I, I just, that situation, and I know that this may not be, this is an easy way to get dunked on later, but is Jahan Dotson a first round pick? From a production standpoint, from a skill standpoint, I love his tape. I love everything about Jahan Dotson. But in the NFL, typically, height, weight, speed matter almost as much. So the fact that he went in the NFL draft, not just in the first round, but the top half of the round, where you normally see guys that have production and traits, and whether or not it's the four three eight speed or it's the uh, six foot four or you know whatever their trait is at the position, that's usually where those guys go. Trayvon Walker went number one overall because he is bigger and faster and stronger than the other guys, even though he's had no production. And that's kind of the the reason I'm surprised. Jahan Dotson is a great football player, but I questioned physically if he was a first round pick. And that was kind of my discussion leading up to the draft. And the Washington football team emphatically answered that there was a run on receivers and they had a first round grade on him. So they took him. Please, please respect the Washington commanders, T. Frank. Oh, yes. What are we doing here? (laughs) Well, so I, I had to try so hard to scrub their previous name from my mind so that I, you know, like I never used their previous uh, nickname but I had to insert football team so forcefully that I have yet to come around to commanders, just like they're still the San Diego Chargers in the recesses of my brain. So it happened. T-Fray, yes. Was was Dotson, because uh, I'm actually just curious about this, like did you see Dotson as a product of like the fact that he, I mean, he was the fifth receiver, I think taking off the like five receivers in the first 16 picks. Yeah. Like what, what is the, and I mean, and the quarterback thing, I didn't quite follow that. I mean, no quarterbacks taken yeah. uh, early, right? Like what, what did you uh, attribute that to? So this is some of the stuff we're going to get into on the BWI daily. So I'll give you just a little bit of a nugget of when you don't have quarterbacks, this is what happens. Another player suffered the opposite of this for Penn State previously, who was a an elite football player, but there were more quarterbacks. So the the just the the framework of a draft can kind of decide where players go. And I do think that run on receivers was a huge part of this because a team like Washington clearly needs another guy. Diami Brown, they, they've got a deep stable of receivers, including their running backs. Antonio Gibson was a receiver at Memphis. J.D. McKissick is a receiving back. So they've got a lot of guys that are pass catchers, but they don't have a guy like Dotson. So from a fit standpoint, it's a good fit that he can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. If he's the number two and Diami Brown is like the number three, Diami Brown is a vertical deep threat guy. That's his major thing. Dotson can do all of those things, but I don't know that he's going to excel on the perimeter. But he can do both. So it's a good fit from that perspective. But yeah, Carson Wentz and everything Dave said, that's that's the hang-up is it's a terrible organization from a leadership standpoint, from a not-being-sued standpoint, from a ethical standpoint. Ron Rivera can only do so much as a head coach. And it's an, it's an okay offense. So, uh, you know, those are the things working against John Dotson is he went to he went to the commanders. Uh, happy Monday to Nick. Uh, if you want to get your questions on the air, drop them in the chat. We'll be discussing the draft. Uh, if this were, you know, a, a Monday night show, I'd say pull up a beer. We'll t- discuss the draft. But, um, you know, that's what we're going to be doing today. And Glenn, 
We are going to be getting to this question in just a little bit. So stay tuned for that. But uh, I want to go through kind of the guys that went, and then we'll get into the impact for Penn State and what is going on with why this happened in a little bit. So uh, what else you got for me? T. Frank, why, you know, you and I, uh, I think it was Thursday on the Daily, talked a lot about some of like that third tier of prospect, right? Um, your Rashid Walker, your Tariq yeah. Castro-Fields, your Jesse Lucadas. Why do you think that, you know, instead of where they were projected, which was kind of like the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth range, you know, they all went in the sixth and seventh round. What what did you did you see from them or from the circumstances of the draft that, that caused that? Um, so an interesting aspect of this draft, and this is something with the Baltimore Ravens selecting Jordan Stout in the fourth round, is that this was a deep draft because of COVID. So... Nate, you've talked about this, and this is going to be something that bleeds into the conversation previously, but Penn State really had like two drafts worth of players going in this right. draft. But everybody did. So the Ravens specifically loaded up on third and fourth round picks because they knew maybe the top end of this draft wasn't as good because the guys that were good went last year. Like if you could go, you went last year, didn't matter. Opted out, whatever. Um, this year was the year for the guys that needed to prove something the Jaquan Briskers of the world that can come back and improve their draft stock. So there would be older players, there would be more players, and it would be a situation where you could get a lot of value in the middle of the draft. So I think that's what it was. It's just players that had similar value but better production or that tested. Rasheed Walker didn't do any testing. So if Rasheed Walker had run a sub 540 and he had uh, you know jumped 31 inches and all these things that we think he might be able to do, then you would have a different conversation about Walker because he was injured and he could not uh, participate. I think that's really the reason that dropped him from five to seven. Uh, and then, you know, other guys that just questions about their profile and, and their, their upside. Tariq Castro Fields, is he going to be able to get you the football? And Jesse Lucetta, what, what position is he? Why was he not as athletic as he seemed on film? Twitchy, great movement skills, but in the end, when he ran, he tested... He's a defensive end that has no tangible upside from a physical standpoint and no production on film. So if you want to get a guy that you're betting just had a bad testing offseason and there's some things that he can do from a versatility, intelligence, run de defense standpoint, I think that's valuable when you combine that with his length and his size. So that's really what those three guys, what they look like to me. Can, can I just say, <clears throat> and it, this isn't about me necessarily, but the Jordan Stout pick really lends some credence as to just how much Penn State football is going to miss him this season. T Frank, yeah. like I know you don't want to address it, you don't want to get into it, but <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying. I mean, a fourth round pick for a punter. Uh, yeah, like that. that's better than Blake Gillikin. Blake Gillikin, who was you know the savior at the position after several seasons of having dreadful field position situations. Penn State's had a good punter for five or six years now, and this is going to be a major storyline next season. But I will use your line against you, Nate, is if you no. score points, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's like, true. You know, well. not, to, not to be a homer here, but the Bills didn't punt against the Patriots in the playoffs. So yep. 
the fact that they got Matt Ariza is like, okay, if we need to punt, we want to have the l- biggest leg that's come out in the last 15 years. But yeah, Jordan yep. Stout is excellent. He's an excellent punter that combines strength and, you know, kicking strength with accuracy, the ability to pin guys in the 20. Uh, I was reading some PFF metrics on him, and, like, he was far and away the most efficient punter when you look at net average, ability to pin guys in the 20, uh, starting field position, all that stuff. So, yeah, he went in the fourth round. I still wouldn't take a punter in the fourth round, personally. But the value for him was there for for the Ravens, who had so many picks that it, they could spend a fourth round on a punter. They're a good team. They can do things like that. Yeah, you're not John Harbaugh. You don't get to make that decision, pal. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you're right. And I, ha- I I wouldn't take a kicker before the last round of my fantasy draft either. So, you know, <laughs> I just hate special teams. Can we Can we just... We just... To... Go ahead, Sorry, Dave. go ahead, Sorry. Dave. I was going to make what? a stupid fantasy football comment about just getting rid of kickers because they're stupid. But uh, anyway, you know, ooh. listen, I we ha- can we, we have to address these these comments, the uh, sure the questions about right. Like, so. All right, let's get to this. So what you know, so eight draft picks. Why didn't Penn State play better? Why didn't they win more games when you have that many draft selections? Uh, the majority of the players selected outside of obviously the best one don't help you score points. And the one who does help you score points, uh, you know, can't do it by himself. So like, I I just like, I just, I don't know how to better say Penn state's offense has not been good for two years. And because of that, they have not like it, it is disingenuous to not acknowledge that Penn state has been competitive, right? Outside of at Nebraska in 2020, Penn State has been competitive basically throughout, right? Like even even losing the games that they've lost, not having the success that they've 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 missed out on. Uh, Penn State has stayed in games, has been in games, but they just have this fatal flaw of not being able to score points. And I don't think that the majority of the players who were drafted in this draft, uh they reflect that right right like the fact the fact that penn state didn't have more play like a running back uh you know a tight end in this draft uh and specifically a quarterback like you know like what are we talking about here uh the fact that those weren't the guys who were drafted tells you very strongly that yeah this is this is a program and this is a team for the last couple of years that was positioned uh, to be competitive, but to not get over the top because they just couldn't score points. Uh, Dave, I want to come to you for a quick question and, and really just kind of answer the same. T Frank, your audio feed come out or cut out. I didn't hear what you asked me. I'm sorry. Uh, so I want to come to you about this one because is it a good thing or a bad thing that despite everything that Nate said, that they're still putting players in the NFL? So is this a down situation or is this a sign of a a fundamental problem for the Nittany Lions? Um, Look, I mean, I think it's a good thing that they're getting guys in the NFL, right? That's never a bad thing. You have to kind of separate it because we didn't didn't learn anything that we didn't already know from Penn State having eight guys drafted this weekend. We just didn't because we already knew that Penn State was a team that was underperforming 
you know, it's talent levels, right? Like, I don't think that's breaking news to everyone. Everybody knows that Penn State should have been probably been better than seven and six last year, you know? So, yeah, it's just they're separate things, right? If you're a Penn State fan and you're invested in Penn State having the best talent on its team, um, then you want Penn Staters to get drafted. So to me, they're, they're kind of, you know, separate, separate things. Uh, so there's a, sorry, there's a lot going on right now, including some uh, technical issues. So we're going to be just, this is going to be ugly for a second while I get all this set up. There we go. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, so oh, collect myself here for a second. Is this going to get better, Nate? Is this going to get better? Uh, because, you know, Penn State is still has talented players on the roster, but uh, this, this leads us back to our, our, our conversation every time we talk about the offense needing to score points and, and Penn state, is it going to get better? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think, I just think it's a, it's a question of how slow of a burn is it going to be right when you have the instability, the pen look, and I, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong about this. Uh, let's let I mean, we play hypothetical all the time here, right? Yeah. So let's play hypothetical. What if Ricky Rane was the offensive coordinator in 2020? What, what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, you've got a quarterback who had started before, took a team to a New Year's Six game, uh, had a lot of success. Ricky Ron- like Ricky gets crushed sometimes, but that offense put up points uh, very consistently. Uh, yeah, there were some notable, you know, blips on the radar where they, they didn't get it done. But that was, a, that was a team and that was an offense that put up some points. So let's say that Ricky Rane is back in 2020 instead of Kirk Sharaka. Let's say that that doesn't, you know, even if Ricky leaves, let's say you go from Ricky straight to Yersich, like like COVID, obviously. I mean, there's just, there's so much that that has to be played out uh, for Penn State that my question now is, you know, could, because legitimately, like I, I have no idea what to expect from Mike Yersich's offense this season. Yeah, I I thought it was objectively not very good last year not not to the level that it needs to be right yeah 50, yeah, yeah. 50 52 programs scored 30 or more points last season in college football like getting the 30 should not be that big of a challenge for a program of penn state football stature and so uh, understanding sean clifford's injury understanding uh the the issues that they had on the offensive line understanding the maybe some of the shortcomings that existed in the running backs room like you, you name it, Noah Kane coming off of an injury, not having Journey Brown, yeah. what have you. Uh, are those things, are those things that didn't exist last season corrected to the point now where they can get above that threshold? And really, let's be honest, like you got to be better than that. You got to be better yeah. than 30. You got to so, be 35. You got to be there's, 38. There's always more than one way to skin a cat. And I wish I could have come up with a better idiom than that. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Poor cats. Poor cats. You you can be Georgia and have one of the most dominant teams, uh, defenses in, in, in modern college football history. You can do that. You need to have 15 players drafted in the NFL. And, Nate, one thing that you and I talked about, uh, you know, during Thursday night of the draft is somebody mentioned to you, Penn State needs to put more guys in the NFL because look at Chris Olave and look at Garrett Wilson. And your yeah. your your counterpoint was what? That that Penn State has put a ton of like whether they got drafted that high or not is fine. That's a different debate. But 
Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson and KJ Hamler are some of what what I would describe as like the guys in the NFL, right? Like uh, that position has come through for Penn State historically in a very good place. It's just that they haven't had multiples of that. But I, I don't even know if that's necessary. Like I think it. Oh yes, think it, it is. Uh, yeah, I, shields the. Po- Having well, but so that's the, not, but that's not, that's not why they, that's not why Ohio State won last year. Like, yeah, having those receivers, having elite receivers and multiples of them helps you absolutely, no doubt about it. But CJ Stroud is why they won. Sure, <laughs> like, ultimately, like the yes, the quarterback. But it makes it easier on the quarterback when you have, and th- this is the real thing to me is speed. It's not just that the 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 best teams right now, what they're doing is they have multiple threats that you cannot account for because of their speed. Alabama has gone all in on track athletes at receiver. Devontae Smith, Jamison. They had Devontae Smith, who was one of the fastest receivers in the NFL, won the Heisman. Behind him was Jamison Williams, who people are comparing to Tyreek Hill as far as different level of speed. You have Garrett Wilson, who is the slow guy and runs a 4-3-9 between him and Chris Olave. And the best receiver is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, you just, you cannot solve all these problems when you have so much speed on the field at receiver. And then when you have the next level things like tackle breaking, route running, all that stuff, it creates stress points that, that the RPO and speed, what it does, it is so hard to fix unless you can just punch somebody in the mouth if you're Georgia. Which again, is equally hard to do. There are more fast guys than there are massive fast guys. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue against myself here, but even Georgia winning the national championship, they put up 33 points. Now, one of those was pick six, right? Yep. So defense, a de- defense did win that game. But you, you look through Georgia's season, uh, other than the Clemson game, right, which was just this bizarre, weird game to open the season. They were putting up like they didn't come up short of 30 points in any of their other games. Yeah. <laughs> like like even even defense wins championships. Georgia won a championship because their offense put up a ton of points. Like yeah. that's just it's what it takes. Yeah. Finding finding. And that's what I mean by there's more than one way to do this. But there's only been one Georgia to run the ball short fields, explosive run game versus Oklahoma. Uh, Clemson, uh, Alabama scores points. Yeah. Alabama beat Georgia with 41 points. But this is my point is those teams use speed and space. The majority of the teams getting the college football playoff use speed and space. One of them, two of them were Michigan and Georgia. So it takes a very special situation from an averages standpoint to get there. So that's, that's, I guess my, my point is the law of averages still remains that Penn State trying to build and win the way they are. They need to get uh, this season. Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington have to be explosive, deep threats and catch yep. the ball at any part of the field. Malik Mega or or Keandre Lambert Smith, one of those guys has to compliment. Like you need to have threats. The, the threat indication has to be everywhere. So Jahan yep. Dotson is great, and that is exactly what you need. Is continually to have that guy. But to be next level good, Penn State had Mike Kosicki and they had Chris Godwin and Saquon Barkley, like multiple threats so you can't be shut down. And that's what I think really when it comes to where they've stagnated a little bit is make that consistent flow of talent there. Plus, you know, the quarterback. We'll see. We'll see what happens this senior year with all of those threats. 
because he did not have those consistent threats the last two years. So where are we going we next? Saw, yeah, we solved it. That's it. I mean, that's that's the I end think, of the conversation. I think it feels logical at this point to point out that um, Ron Rivera, who is the head coach of the Washington Commanders, um, basically said Sean Clifford's bad, um, and and that's why uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's why they feel you know justified in picking Jahan Dotson. So he's on team. Drew Alar immediately. Christian Bayou <laughs> right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I He's the that guy that played Taylor Heineke too, so I don't know. What was what was the context of that, Dave? I didn't see that. Um, let me find it. I got to re-find it. I, I, I was uh, poking around on their SB Nation blog, and I found a line where they basically just said, yeah, in not as many words. Let, while you're doing that, while you're doing that, I'll give you some context on some other guys that I found so we can do kind of a, a quote roundup here. Um, Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM talking about Rasheed Walker, said his value was too good to pass up in the seventh round. They, he was the third guy they took on the offensive line, including a third and a fourth round pick. So that's a, a situation where he's got to perform. But there's opportunity there because they want somebody at right tackle that isn't Elton Jenkins, who was at one point their starting center, but has played every position for them along the offensive line. So they're looking for somebody to play on the right side. There's an opportunity there, but it's an uphill climb for him. Brandon Smith is a guy I want to talk about a little bit later, uh, a little more in depth, because I think his situation is super interesting. But Matt Rule said, Brandon Smith is a guy we targeted for a long time. He's young. He came out early. You see the physical traits. That's all they mentioned about Brandon Smith. Physical traits, freak athlete, freak athlete, freak athlete, freak athlete. And then yep. for Jesse Lucchetta, didn't run the fastest time. This is from Steve Keim, the general manager. Didn't run the fastest time. Physical and disruptive. Plays inside, outside linebacker. And uh, he plays with passion. So they're still playing off the idea that he might be an inside linebacker on rundowns. I hope not. But they seem in, in, intent on playing him at the outside linebacker position for the most part. So hopefully that's the case. Did I, give, did I give you some time there, Dave? Well, we did, but now we don't have audio. Sorry, I had to. I was on a, a different uh, tab here. So, quarterbacks often make receivers better, but at Penn State, Ron Rivera believes Jahan Dotson made their quarterback better by making some of the acrobatic catches that he did. So, okay, I'm going to walk that Dave. back a little bit. We didn't yeah, say that he's bad. Um, I'm sorry. Let me let me let me look again because that's not what I was looking for originally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I do think that that's a fair point though, right? Like there there were completions that went to Sean Clifford that uh you know probably would not have happened had they been directed yeah. uh to a different receiver. He, like I I I don't know. I I was super impressed with Jahan Dotson, particularly this past season. I thought yes. he was he caught everything in the area, which was reflected by Washington Pickham that high. Uh, Kyle asked, would KJ Hamler had stats like Dotson? Kyle, can you can you elaborate a little bit? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. But uh, just are you saying like if he was in the current offense or if they were together? Because I think that that's kind of what I'm talking about is if you have full-fledged Jahan Dotson playing the way he does and KJ Hamler. Now we're in a situation where what do you do? Because it took Dotson a little bit of time to develop to be that guy. And Penn State's always had a lead receiver. In these other these other places, they all have a lead guy, whether it's Jalen Waddle until he gets hurt at Alabama, and then Devontae Smith takes over. 
But the guy who's getting less opportunities averages 17 and a half yards a catch. Like they're yep. deep threat, touchdown, explosive play monster. And then they become the guy on the offense later. So, you know, I think that there's some there's some of that uh, opportunity, even if you have more than one guy and you're not force feeding every target to Jahan Dotson. And that's what I want to see this coming season from Penn State. Uh, yeah. Let's let's move on. Dave, did you find what you were looking for? I did not. I've been bamboozled by the internet. I apologize. <laughs> you read the internet wrong? That happens to me all the, the time. Wrong. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, uh, Nate, you... I, I'm just going to say this. Like, everything we heard about Pat Craft from and from Pat Craft on Friday, you had said some version of this leading into his press conference. So first off, pat yourself on the back for being good at your job and then elaborate. Uh, now that you have heard what he said, is there additional context you took from it that you were interested in? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the thing that comes across to me and what came across it, now, obviously I'm like, if you joined us late, I was not there on Friday. I was out. Uh, traveling. And so I was able to see the press conference uh, via the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel in its entirety. Uh, and, you know, the thing that I thought came across the most, and that has been reflected in the time since with some of the people that I've talked to, is like this dude wants to win. He, he, he is, he, he is determined to do that. Right. And so that, that might seem like an obvious uh yeah of course every every athletic director wants to win but i uh, my sense is that there is a a dedication behind it to to do some of the things that you know might be messy right or or that might not be easy uh to to get through the slog to set up programs to have the opportunity to have every opportunity to succeed and to win yeah. And so if that happens, right, like at this is kind of a difficult way to put it, but when when we talk about, right, like Penn, Penn State players um, and college football athletes making the most of their opportunity, right? Like yeah. your academic experience at Penn State can be whatever you want it to be. It can be not easy necessarily, but it can be manageable, yeah. uh, but it can also be very, very difficult and you can challenge yourself. Uh, but, but there is no shortage or there shouldn't be any shortage of resources to your ability to succeed and to, to absolutely make the most of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think that there is probably an argument to be made that that has not always been the case in its entirety, right? In the fullest extent of that concept yeah. for specific programs at, at Penn State within the athletic department. Right. And so if this, if Pat Crafts, this sounds like great news, especially for basketball. Like I understand football is going to take front and state, front, center stage when it comes to the high end investment, but it sounds like there's more 
backbone to the rest of everything, whether it's the hockey program or basketball or money-making programs that have been kind of like, this is our place. Right. Yeah, and so, I, I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to belabor the point, but there is, if th- there are two sides to, the, to this story, right? The yeah. first side is, hey, some of the excuses, some of the things that have been legitimate hurdles to finding the type of success that some of these programs would like to achieve are, are in the process or could be in the process of being removed by Packcraft, right? Like yeah. unlocking some of the, the, the challenges of working with admissions. We've talked about this before, yeah. right? Like it's a big deal. Things that are university policy that do not affect the overall standing of the university to make changes uh, and have an evolution that will help unlock some some opportunities to bring people into these different programs. That's football. That's basketball. It's it's all over the place, right? Uh, if if those things are accomplished, the one side is yes, you you now have the opportunity. There will not be things that inhibit you from uh, having success on the structural level. The other side to it is if that's the circumstance and you are provided all of those resources and all of those opportunities, and then you don't succeed, there, there are going to be repercussions for that, mm-hmm. right? Like that, yeah, it will not be okay. Ruffle, uh, feathers will be ruffled, put it right. that way, uh, because uh, sitting on your laurels is is not the MO uh, of Packcraft, as I understand it. Dave, one of the things that I, I think surprised me when it came to, and I don't, I don't remember if we covered this in depth when we talked about it afterwards on Friday, but the forward commitment to 31 different programs in the light that Nate just painted. Is that a surprise to you, given the, the current landscape of college football and college basketball and how they are racing away from the rest of college athletics and Penn State's, you know, just, just the challenges of running such a large program? Is that lip service, do you think, or is that a real commitment to all of the athletic uh, programs at Penn State? Yeah, I thought it was notable that I think that original point came from Neely Bendapudi, who is going to be Penn State's new president. Um, So, you know, that's one aspect to it. Um, But, you know, I I don't want to call it lip service just because I, I don't know. But I do think that if you are going to like make some de- decisions there that it probably doesn't make sense to like say on in during your opening press press conference. Oh, by the way, we're cutting five sports. Um, <laughs> please be terrified for the remaining two months before I get here. You know? Um, and I, I don't think that's something despite what Penn state diehard football fans want. I, I'm not sure that's something that would be received well yeah. universally by the Penn state athletics massive um so you know i didn't i don't really know what to make make of that right now is basically what i'm saying because as as nate kind of alluded to you know he's he's committed to doing what it takes for the top level programs at the university yeah so to what extent that means, I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm not really reading too much into that right now. Kind of a wait and see if that if that yeah. comes to fruition when it comes to athletics. And, and Nate, we can have an entirely different show on the future of, you know, 
every sport at the college level being varsity, uh, yep. which I know we've talked about previously. We're, we're going to move on beyond that. And Dave, I just want to get back to you quickly. After yep. the weekend and kind of di- di- digging into this stuff, I've brought up a couple of topics, but is there anything that stood out to you about um, either what Pat Craft said or something you're curious about moving forward now that you've had the weekend to digest it from being there to now? Well, you know, the the one thing that we really talked about to you, Frank, in our in our stand up afterwards was his take on NIL and uh, specifically teams kind of tampering or I guess schools more accurately kind of tampering with athletes who aren't in the transfer portal yet. Um, and I just wanted to bring this up because Kale Sanderson, Penn State's wrestling coach, had this tweet this morning. Um, Simple and effective plan. The NCAA should offer a $25,000 reward to its student athletes for information that leads to a tampering violation. So a little <laughs> bit of a solution there thrown out by, by Kale, um, you know, potentially after hearing those comments. Um, but yeah, I think I still think that's the major thing. It was, was what he said about NIL and the transfer portal. Um, and you know, he's, he's, he's clearly not super content with how it looks right now. So I'll be interested to see what action he takes. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that Kel Sanderson tweet was funny. That that's, you know, an informant network. (laughs) I like the idea. You don't know which one is going to get you, but there's a bounty. It's a bounty system. That's phenomenal. Uh, so Nate, one thing that came up and I want to address this because this has tentacles that run very deep. And I think it's a bigger deal inside the Penn state fan base than it is. Maybe this conversation nationally and it goes back to the joe paterno documentary 10 years since everything that went down um patrick Kraft was not shy about talking about joe paterno um is that intentional because he was asked questions but he specifically brought up memories of the late penn state coach and is that do you think an opening salvo to maybe heal some wounds between parts of the fan base that feel like everything that went down was wrong. Am I reading too much into that? I I think probably reading too much. Like I don't, I didn't necessarily take that away from it. I, okay. Look, I think that, I think that having a, an ability to, to not shy away from the, right? Like the toxicity of the name Joe Paterno that existed 10 years ago, right or wrong, okay? And certainly in the minds of many, incorrectly, right? Like there, there sh- it should have never gotten to the point where everyone had to shy away about saying nice things about Joe Paterno. And let's be honest, we're forgetting in our collective consciousness the fact that a ton of people said very nice things about Joe Paterno yeah. after his passing, right? Yeah. Phil Knight among them like uh, many significant people okay but there is a a feeling certainly within penn state that over the last 10 years people haven't been able to to say it right yeah to put his to put his image on the beaver stadium jumbotron to 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 talk about him in real terms and so yes that that in itself for pat craft of hey like i'm not going to act like he didn't exist or that I didn't have this 
formative experience of him addressing the team. He talked right. He had this experience where Indiana got stuck in, in state college yeah. uh, during that that one trip to, to Penn State. And Joe Paterno came and addressed the team at 6 a.m. the next morning. Uh, it was it was a good story. Like and, yeah. and he talked about how significant that was for him. Uh, do do I see that as like, hey, this this is an intentional way to bridge the gap and start to heal old wounds? Uh, no, not necessarily. But yeah. I do see it as, hey, like, Pat Craft has no reason to avoid or to to shy away from you know having this conversation and and addressing Joe Paterno again in real terms. I mean, I, I do think that that is a step in a good direction of like be honest right yeah. like be honest about how messy all of this was it it, it it was tough right but also be honest in the sense of you can't you can't act like he didn't exist it's just it's not a yeah. feasible thing moving forward at Penn State and so I thought I thought he handled it well to be honest yeah. with you maybe maybe and David is it is it just a I don't want to say a happy accident but like a sign that Pat Kraft might be just one of the best an example of why he's one of the best possible candidates that he has these experiences with Penn State and that he's unafraid he's not uh, measuring his words because I don't think he was uh in that situation where he's this is this is who he is and who he is fits very well at Penn State is that an okay read of of what we saw yeah I think that's fine I mean he was very real right I, that's that's what I thought outside of you know like the concrete issues that were discussed I, I left that feeling like this is a very passionate real emotional guy um and and look in, in college athletics especially at that level where there is that much money being handled and that much politics taking place i don't think realness is um common so yeah, yeah you know if it, it, it's it's great that you know, he's he's willing to talk about real issues and he's not going to pretend things didn't happen. So, you know, it's definitely I I don't know that that definitely makes him like a successful athletic director. I don't know that right. that means he's going to come in here and, and be awesome. But I, I do think it's a good start. But, um, so the, the reason I'm driving at this is because being an athletic director is about forging relation. I think he said that or, or Neely Benaputi said that is it's about forging relationships and, and getting things done through that element and somebody who has that personality mentioning the largest living alumni base if you can't access all of that because of these right. issues is that not a huge advantage where you know there has been some political politeness previously say that five times fast yep. When it comes to the situation, so I, I guess that's that's kind of my thought behind it is intentional or not, it does seem like it is a huge benefit that Penn State can in the era of NIL, where you are trying to get these things done and you have to do something about Beaver Stadium and you have to stay competitive. You need to get the donations in the door, and is that something Nate he can do not just on a respectable level but take Penn State to the you know the heights of where it needs to be to be competitive when it comes to you mentioned Phil Knight and and yep. Nike and Oregon even Maryland with Under Armour like these situations where you have these mega donors that can change Texas A&M forever Penn State does not have any of those on its Rolodex that have been contributing so are these yep. things capable are they, are they possible with Pat Kraft from a aggregate and from a 
you know, large donor standpoint. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, this is a very broad conversation, but the time that Sandy Barber came into the position versus the time now are, are radically different, right? In terms of the, the tenor of the public conversation, if you're Pat Kraft, you want and need and should be determined to have as broad and big of a tent as you possibly can have to invite anyone with any tangential relationship to Penn State back in, right? <laughs> it does not matter where you stand, right, on so many things. It is very simply, uh, well, welcome back. Like, come on back in, right? Yeah. Clean slate, fresh start. Uh, you know, and so I, I do think, I do think that there, there is an intentionality to, to setting that tone, yeah. right? Not of, Hey, let's like, first thing on the docket is to, to build a new stadium and to name it Paterno field. Like, I, I don't think it's that right. Right. Uh, it, because that's just, that's the extreme side of it, right? Like that's right. That's the polar opposite. It's just a matter of, you, you gotta, you gotta set a tone of, Look, like this this has been difficult, but most of the difficulty, the the most challenging parts of it should be in the rearview mirror. Right? Yeah. Like let let get it together uh from a human side of things, like invite other people back into the fold and I think that that is absolutely going to be one of his there, right? Like I mean cuz it's not just athletics, it's it's the entirety of the institution to to yeah. try to make amends and get things back, uh, you know, to where people are enthusiastic and and passionate uh, about Penn State. Here's a here's a question, and this is uh, this is very off the beaten path, but also something I've been thinking about. Of we cover Penn State sports, we cover this stuff in depth. We know kind of the the personality, the the tapestry of Penn State fans and the story here. Is the same thing happening at Michigan State? Because, you know, the, the Larry Nasser situation and, and uh, you know, that story is of the same magnitude, if not exponentially greater than what happened at Penn State. But I, I just, I don't know if that's the same feeling amongst the fan base or if this is something from the time and uh, the, the way it was covered and reported to the, you know, having Joe Paterno to put these things and attach them to. It just feels like this is, is a either a unique situation or one that Penn State is kind of keeping around with these conversations or these feelings, these these buried or these resentful feelings uh, about how everything happened a decade ago. Is What do you think about the particular environment that exists, Dave? Do you think that this is common among universities that have this issue? I mean, to be honest... I have no idea what's going on in Michigan State. I just yeah. don't, right? Like, yeah. but but you know, I I would imagine that some of it exists, <laughs> right? Because obviously that was an, a horrifying situation. Um, but you know, I mean, look, Nate, Nate, and I, and and you know this, we're so dialed into what's happening here that you know we're we're not we're not. I guess looking too hard at what's happening at Michigan State. If Nate yeah. wants to weigh in, feel free. But I, I know, didn't. I, really I did, Dave. I didn't give you a question. I gave you my opinion and then just threw it at okay. you. <laughs> I, I threw a dead fish in your lap, is what I did. It's well, just 
I, that's, I guess that's yeah. just my thought. It's like <laughs> Penn State is not the only university to have a major scandal involving sexual assault or or any of these things. And not to take those horrors and make them about the program, but there is this fallout from those things. And it seems like Penn State, their fallout has just continued to echo where some of the other ones did not. And Nate, I guess I just I'm fascinated as to the deconstruction of why that particular thing seems to exist here. Yeah, I, I just I don't know that it does at at this point. Like, okay. I, I mean, I, I get it. I, and kind of there's there's some I, I don't know, like and this this is, I, I guess, something that has to be navigated by us in the media. We're, we're really the eyes and the ears of the public, like we're just a collection of the public. Uh, in a lot of ways. And I don't know that the issue of like, while it is something that is still discussed, um, you know, and yeah, there are some, some hard feelings attached yeah. to that within the fan base, but I don't know that it is. I, actually, I do know it's not nearly the front and center topic at this point. It's yeah. just not. I mean, there, yes, there there is a segment of the of the population um, and and the fan base that that still wants you know certain things to be uh, you know amends to be made. But I, I don't think that it is like if you're a Penn State football fan, having lived through 2016, 17, 19, right? The the success that the football program had, that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> like like the overwhelming number of people, like it just it doesn't matter. The right, right? like. Uh, what what happened ten years ago? Yeah, there are things that people are still going to be upset about uh, in the way that the university, in particular, handled that situation. But more important to really oh, an overwhelming demographic of the Penn State fan at this point is simply how do you win? <laughs> like, yeah. like win football games. How, how do you like uh, James Franklin's ten year contract is a much bigger point of concern for Penn state fans on the, on the whole now than a statue. It, it just, it just sure. is like, that's sure. That's the, that's the truth. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting here because I do think that some of the things that you see that, that happen in the public eye, right? I have no idea what the conversations are going to be between Pat Kraft and Terry Pagula, right? Yeah. Ira Lubert, like any of the whales in Penn state's pond, I don't know how those conversations are going to be had yeah. uh, and the tenor regarding Joe Paterno, but I think that the public stance, the pump, the public facing profile is going to be just a, if it comes up, not being afraid to talk about it, yeah. not, not being afraid to acknowledge that Joe Paterno was an influential person <laughs> in the football realm yeah. at Penn state. Like I just, I, you know, and I think that it's a no brainer. Like at this point, you can take those steps. Yeah. I, so we spent a lot of time on this, but it's just because it's an interesting turning point that happened on Friday from a very public situation and one that we have not had in a while. But also, when you talk about the fan base and getting everyone involved and all those things, these are the little sticking points along the road that feel like are these things going to hold Penn State back from? you know, NIL discussions and, and monetary donations. And w without knowing you have to 
you have to ask. You have to think about it. You have to bring these things up and discuss them in the light. Is there anything else, from uh, Nate, from the press conference that I've missed that you think is important that we emphasize more than, than what we just rolled around in for a little bit? Yeah, so so one, and I just have to say this because he's never going to stop texting me. Uh, I have to give a public hat tip to a friend of mine who told me on March 21st that Pat Kraft would be the next uh, athletic director at Penn State. So hat tip to a friend who knew, saw the writing on the wall. Um, <laughs> the second thing, uh, no, I just like the, the overall thing that I think is the most important is the thing that I said at the top, which is very simply, this guy is committed to winning. He is hyper competitive and that can, that can create some very interesting dynamics because I, you know, I don't want to speak in so broad terms, but Penn State on the whole has this underlying, I don't know if reputation is the right word, but there is a comfort. It's just a, it's a cozy blanket yeah. of, of what Penn State athletics is. Traditional. Everyone, there's a, everyone feels, yeah, everyone feels feels good everyone right like and and you you uh you get in you have time no, no brash action none of that right yeah that's what it has been i don't know that that's what it will be under pack craft and so uh lighting fires under butts right like i think mm -hmm. is a good way to put it uh right like this aggressive mentality mm -hmm. which to be honest with you i think when you look at James Franklin and what his leadership at Penn State has tried to be, it aligns very closely with, look, we're going to push this ball forward. And if you're on board, we're going to expect of you to do everything within your power to move that ball forward. Yeah. And if, and if not, and if not, that's okay. Maybe, maybe that's not right for you, but you're not going to get in the way of the people who are now at the top, right? Like pushing that ball forward. So I, I you know, I, I do think that there, there could be, and I get the sense from uh, Neely Bendapudi as well. Like it, it, it is it, uh, some of the cultural comforts that have existed at Penn State uh, could could see themselves diminished. I think over the next couple of years. The BWI live show here on YouTube. Thanks to everybody who participated. Thanks to everybody in the comments section. We covered a lot of ground today from uh, big picture stuff to uh, we even got our Sean Clifford quota in today. But one thing that we need to get to, <laughs> we need to get to Dave Eckert and his big man update for Penn State basketball. Uh, what do you have as far as feelers out there, portal invites? Uh, do you have a helicopter following Micah Shrewsbury? What do you got as far as What's going on with Penn State basketball and the transfer portal? No, James Franklin declined to let me borrow his helicopter, which is very <laughs> upsetting. Um, no, I mean, there's really, there hasn't been a whole lot of movement, um, right? So uh, actually, we had this question, T. Frank, on the uh, the Mailbag pod podcast last week. Um, the May 1st transfer portal entry deadline does apply to basketball. Um, so who's in there is who's in there, because today is May 2nd. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there hasn't really been a whole lot of concrete movement. Um, the one guy who we, we know that we're, that they're chasing, um, very intently is Davion Bradford from Kansas state. 
um, seven footer, uh, averaged 3.3 points last year, um, 7.7 the year before though. So, you know, he was a, a decently rated recruit, but yeah, as far as like concrete, here's, here's what's going on. There's, there's not a ton to really, to really talk about. Well, we'll keep at it this summer. Dave is an excellent reporter. We got insiders everywhere. So the BWI live show, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date on all that stuff. But that does it for today. Nate, you just I, always look like you're about to say I something. I know. I well, I well. First of all, we have two minutes, so <laughs> I. But I, I do have a little bit of perspective to add to Dave's there. Sure. Uh, the the pool is shrinking, right? So so what has happened on the the quote-unquote big man front is there are fewer options today for Penn State than there were on Saturday. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's it's like a, you know, we'll see. We'll see. He, he's right, though. The, the Kansas State kid is is front and center uh, at, the, at the, the, the front of their recruiting imaginations. Um, it's just a matter of, hey, you know, wait, waiting, right, figuring that out. And then if not, Go, go from there, right? Like you gotta, you gotta turn your because you gotta do something. Somebody has to come in. So yeah, that's it. I'll Shame. shut up. I'm done. Large human, big human. Any large humans human with basketball. college eligibility? Yep, they're all invited yes. to play basketball at Penn State. Well, Please. just like all the people watching that may fit that profile, uh, I have yet to be drafted. So, uh, Are another you year gone. Ten, and I don't know it. I'm not talking about for basketball. I'm not talking about oh. basketball. We just got oh. to do. We spent 35 minutes talking about the NFL draft. Still haven't gotten drafted. the The problem is, I'm getting to the end of my NFL career. I'm gonna be 32 in August. So me and uh, and uh, Adam Thielen share the same birthday. I'm I'm worried about Adam. I don't. How many years does he have left? He's a receiver. We're both receivers. Like, can he keep up? You're not feeling it anymore, T. Frank. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think he's still good. We still got time, Adam, is what I'm trying to say. That's it for the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Coming up later, more draft stuff. We, we break down the draft with uh, Greg Pickle, our other reporter who was discussing the draft over the weekend. Uh, give you more perspective on and get into the nitty-gritty on some of these picks we didn't get to here on the live show. And then the recruiting show coming up tomorrow for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, 
Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.